Welcome to Grounded and Growing in Christ. I'm Dan Rhoda, a pastor of Worland Park Christian Reformed Church, and today we are going to open the Bible together to hear from God's Word. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. There you can learn more about this audio ministry. And we'd love if you'd consider providing financial support by making a gift of any amount. If you're not part of the local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. One of the things that you'll note as you turn there is that the first word is finally, then brothers. And I mentioned this briefly last time when we got together, but it just strikes me as funny that he turns to finally, then. I love when you get into the text and you realize something. I, I was, as I've been reading through First Thessalonians, I'm like, man, this is an extended introduction. And you get to the end of chapter 3 and you're like, I wonder when he's going to get into the meat of First Thessalonians. And then he's like, all right, well, finally then. And you're like, you're at the conclusion? What happened to the instruction part of the letter? Right, apparently that's more funny to me than anybody else here. That's fine. (laughs) But that's what's happening here. In uh, chapter 4, he's moving from the introduction, which has been extended all the... So he likes extended introductions too, just like me. And uh, and now he's moving to the conclusion. And actually, in the conclusion is a lot of the instruction that he's giving to the Thessalonian church. And we're calling this whole series Life in the Light of Eternity. And he's been talking a little bit here about what's going to happen when the Lord Jesus Christ returns when he appears again. He's been talking about the holiness that that he prays that the Thessalonian church will be able to offer to the Lord when the Lord returns again. And he's going to talk about that um, more specifically now. He's going to start giving very practical, very pointed commands and encouragements to the Thessalonian church. And for those of us who are reading this and receiving it today, we should realize that this word comes to us as well. And then he'll also start speaking in a more pointed way about what's going to happen when the Lord returns again, when he comes again to claim his own, what what eternity will look like at that point. And so there's a lot of really good, helpful instruction that takes place in this final part of the the book of 1 Thessalonians as he concludes his time. So I'm going to invite us now to take a look at 1 Thessalonians 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12 of 1 Thessalonians 4. This is what God's Word says. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in the matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your own hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders." 
and be dependent on no one. Let me tell you something that's obvious, but but maybe often forgotten. The way that you or I live is going to depend on who we're trying to please or who we're trying to impress. This is an essential thing for Christian men and women to do to evaluate how it is that they are living and who it is they are seeking to impress, who it is that they're seeking to please with their life. So who are you trying to impress with your life? Who are you trying to please? There are all sorts of ways that you and I might live in a way to try to impress this or that or the other person or this or that or the other group. We can live to try to impress the world, particularly those who are powerful or set the terms of the culture. We can live to try to impress various people in the political party that we sort of identify with. Are we living to try to impress Republicans or Democrats? Are we living to try to please or impress Facebook friends to make sure that we live the kind of life that gets the maximum number of likes? Or are we living to try to please God? And let me just say at the outset that living to try to please God is challenging. It's a challenging thing to do, to determine and then to execute life that's lived to please God. Let me tell you at the outset that it's hard for me to live in a way that tries to please God. This is the temptation of many a preacher, to, uh, to forget that our ultimate aim is to please God and then to try to please the congregation firstly. I'll just tell you, there are a number of times where I've got to get up to the pulpit and I've got to preach a difficult part of Scripture, and I am simply afraid. I'm afraid because the, the call is a challenging one. You know, I'll tell you this, First Thessalonians is a difficult book, isn't it? If you've been here all throughout, you recognize that there's this regular call in the book of First Thessalonians up to this point to suffer for the sake of Christ. That's not a nice or an easy message, is it? And so I'll tell you, as I prepare to preach, I'm a little bit afraid. I mean, who naturally wants to hear the message, believe in Jesus, it's going to be hard, you should suffer for it. It's not the natural thing that we want to hear. And so sometimes I get up and I'm a little bit scared. And I've had to regularly pray this prayer. Lord, let me preach this Sunday to please you more than to please anybody else. This is one of those Sundays. The instructions in 1 Thessalonians 4 are challenging. They're challenging. And so the prayer this week has been, Lord, let me please you. Let me cut it straight. Let me tell the truth. Let me not lie on your son. Let me not lie on you. Let me tell the truth. There was a Supreme Court justice who once said something beautiful. He said, God assumed from the beginning that the wise of the world would view Christians as fools, and God has not been disappointed. He said, if I've brought any message today, it is this. Have the courage to have your wisdom regarded as stupidity. Be fools for Christ. And have the courage to suffer the contempt of the sophisticated world. That's been the message that's come from Paul throughout. Be willing to suffer opposition for the sake of following after the Lord. Be willing to, consider to, uh, to, be, willing to be considered a fool in the eyes of the surrounding Thessalonians for the sake of Christ Jesus. And in the passage this morning, Paul urges us in a specific direction to walk right before God and therefore walk right before others, even if it means that there will be opposition. 
even if it means there will be suffering or persecution. Walk right. Please God more than please the world. First, he talks about walking right before God. He says, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as, that, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. And so this is the very beginning of, of how it is that he gives instruction here in this first verse. He's like, all right, you heard from us right away. Walk in a way to please God. Do that more and more. You heard from us when we called you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that you were called to faithful obedience, to walk in a way that pleases God. Give yourself more and more and more to that is the call from Paul to the Thessalonian church and therefore the call from the Holy Spirit to us today. And here's the marvel at the beginning of this passage, that we can live our lives in a way that pleases God, that we can please God with our lives. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 tells us just how hard it is to please God. Hebrews 11 verse 6 tells us without faith it is impossible to please God. And so this instruction from the Holy Spirit of God through the Apostle Paul is this, stated another way, since you have faith in God, you can please God. Walk in that way. Walk in the sort of way that pleases God. Walk in the fruit of faith. This is the overlying command of this whole section of Scripture. Walk in a way that pleases God. So direct your life that you're willing to bear the scorn of the world so long as you are pleasing God. That message is always relevant at every time, into every city, into every community. And this is how you and I are called. Because you have faith in God, please God. Today's message on Grounded and Growing in Christ will continue in just a moment. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, to listen to other messages from our audio ministry, or to make a financial gift of any amount, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. That's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This audio ministry is made possible by gifts from listeners like yourself, and we greatly appreciate all those of you who continue to make it possible to share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now let's return to today's message. Alistair Begg tells a story of a group of, of children. I, I'm not sure where this story comes from, but he, he just talked about how this group of, of children, a group of boys, they were, uh, they were being rascals. So they told one of their mitts to pick up a stone and to throw it through a window, and that little boy wouldn't do it. And so he was teased by the other boys who were his friends. They said, you're just afraid. You're just scared to do it. You're just scared of your dad. That's the only, way that, only reason that you're not willing to do that. You're just too scared to do it. You're afraid of what he'll do to you if you do it. And the little boy turned to his friends and said, I'm not afraid of what he'll do to me if I do it. I'm afraid of what it'll do to him if I do it. That's the attitude of one who desires to please God. God has saved me. God has redeemed me. And now I want to keep myself from sin because I don't like what it does to God when I sin. Not because I'm afraid, afraid any longer of, of judgment or retribution. Not because I'm afraid any longer of hell but because I'm afraid of what my sin does to God. God has saved you in Christ Jesus. And now our hope in life should be to please him, and we get to please him. Having Christ Jesus as the Lord, we get to keep his law for his glory. This should give us great hope and great courage to stand up in the face of opposition. Robert Murray McShane once said, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He's praying for me. 
Knowing God should allow you and me to bear up like the Thessalonians did against all sorts of opposition and bear up and keep his law. So let's see how this part of God's word instructs us in our task to be those who please the heavenly father. There are three different parts of how we can please the Lord in this section of scripture. The first is, is we please God by walking before God in holiness. We please God by walking with others in love. And we please God by walking before outsiders with a quiet independence. It's a remarkable section of scripture, so let's dig into it. God desires that we please him. And we're told here in verse 3 that this is the will of God. Your sanctification. This is the will of God. Your sanctification. Sanctification is an important biblical word. What this says to us is that the will of God is that you and I grow in holiness. It's God's will that we become more holy. That's what sanctification means. Being given gradual growth in holiness. There are two important terms for us to know as Christians. One is justification. And that word means that because of Christ's death and resurrection, we are made right with God. We are declared righteous. That because of Christ's death and his resurrection, our sin is taken away from us. We're given the righteousness of Christ Jesus. And the rest of the Christian life is a life of sanctification, of being given gradual growth in holiness. And this passage of scripture tells us that this is what God wills for us, to grow in holiness. God wants for you and me to become more holy. And so if you're ever wondering about what's, what God's will is for your life, you know that at every moment, his will is for you to grow in holiness, for you to be sanctified. And there's a specific way that God calls us this morning through this passage of scripture to be sanctified, to grow in holiness, to grow in holiness as it relates to sex and sexuality. For this is the will of God, says verse three, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality. Let me say again. This can be a hard thing for us to talk about, to talk about sex or sexuality. But you and I must talk about the things that the Bible talks about. I remember when I was a a high school student, I was either a junior or a senior, and I was at Brookfield Christian Reformed Church, and one particular Sunday, my pastor, Peter Verhulst, got up and he said that he was going to be talking about lust. He was going to be preaching a sermon about the deadly sin of lust on that morning. And he said something that stuck with me. As he started, he said, now some people think that We shouldn't talk about these sorts of things in church. And he said, but I think that the church is exactly where we must talk about these sorts of things. And I remember that that hit me. And he's right. You and I must have our thinking shaped and formed by the Bible in every every place. And that means that we must have our minds and our lives shaped by what the Bible says about sex. It means that we should, that we must talk about it in church. And we must teach our children, we must disciple about sexuality in our homes, because if we don't, if we don't talk about it, everyone else is going to. If you watch pretty much any television show, if you see a bunch of different advertisement, you're going to hear about it. You're going to be discipled by it. And so today, we must be discipled by what the Bible says on sex and sexual immorality. We need more Christian discipleship on this matter, not less. Now, When Paul is instructing about sexual immorality to the Thessalonians, this is something that had deep cultural resonance for them. This was a time where there was a great deal of sexual immorality. One author from a a bit before Paul was born talked about the Greco-Roman world into which Paul was writing. He talked about this just matter-of-factly. Demosthenes wrote this. He talked about the way that the average man would operate in Greco-Roman society. He said, mistresses we keep for our pleasure concubines for our day-to-day physical well-being, and wives to bear us legitimate children. 
In Thessalonica, where this church was, there was cultic temple prostitution. That means that illicit sex was a part of religion. It was a part of worship for those who were a part of certain religious groups. That you'd go to the temple and engage in illicit sex as a part of the worship service. Now that might seem really foreign to us as we hear that today. But really, it's not terribly different from the world in which we live now. If you want to encounter another type of religious worship outside of the church, the first thing you'll likely encounter is is sexual identitarianism. Having a specific notion about how your identity is formed by your sexuality is the way that a great deal of the the, the secular world operates. It's a part of worship, basically. Worship not to another deity, but worship to the self. And just as though there was um, a great deal of of promiscuity in the age of the Thessalonian church and in that Greco-Roman world, so there is today. So there is today. We live in a culture that is strikingly similar. And notice in the midst of all of that, Paul focuses his energies on the church. He's acknowledging that there is a sinful world in which these people are living. He talks about how the Gentiles live in the passions of their lusts in verse 5. But he doesn't offer his criticism of the Gentiles. He offers his call to the church. He's saying, get your own house in order first and foremost. Jeff Wyma, a professor at Calvin Seminary, talks about how holiness in this regard is a boundary marker that separates God's people from all other nations. And the call, therefore, to holiness And to sexual purity is something that was to separate the Thessalonian church from the surrounding culture. It's the same today. Your holiness makes you distinct and unique. And that is good. And if you want to be the sort of person who pleases God, you will be the sort of person who avoids sexual immorality, who flees from it, who runs from it. You will cut it out of your life. You will be brutal in ending it. You will avoid it entirely, and therefore you will control your body in holiness and in honor. That's what verses 3 and 4 tell us, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. This is unlike unbelievers. Those who don't believe in the Lord Jesus don't see a need to abstain from sexual immorality because they don't know the God who is the author of sexuality. But those who are in Christ do. And then, this section of scripture tightens the screws a little bit more. Verse 6 says that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in these things, as we told you beforehand, and solemnly warned you. This section of scripture is telling us that sexual sin is a sin that harms more than ourselves. It harms our brother. We sin against our brother in this sort of way or against our sister in this sort of way. Sexual sin is never a sin that's done in private. Not ultimately. Its effects are always to harm the community. And then we're told that God is an avenger. And here we need to understand, not like the movie, God's going to pay back the wrong. Do you know what an avenger is? I actually didn't because I've watched too many Marvel movies and so I just thought about superheroes. So this is something I had to look up. What is an avenger? And so this is what the dictionary said. A person who exacts punishment or inflicts harm in return for an injury or wrong. So don't miss this. God will enact punishment for sexual sin. He'll inflict harm in return for sexual sin because God is holy 
and calls us to be holy. And if you're thinking I'm being, if you're thinking I'm being too severe here, just take a look at how the text says that this is supposed to be a solemn warning to us. Because the text is a solemn warning, I must warn you solemnly too. Do not be impure. God has called you to holiness. And just like in the Thessalonian culture, sexual immorality is everywhere today. You don't have to go anywhere to encounter all sorts of illicit material. And you know that temptation will be whispered to you. You know, you can engage in this and no one will know. (coughs) No one will find out. You can continue to engage in this and and you'll appear to still be a good Christian. (coughs) That's a lie, brothers and sisters. If you're feeding your lusts, whether by sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, or cheating on your spouse, or looking at a screen by yourself for your own pleasure, you need to stop. The Lord is displeased with this. And the intensity of this text in 1 Thessalonians must be our intensity too. Do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes to avoid sinning sexually. Take whatever step you need to, to bring an end to it. One of my friends in college told me about how his family was torn apart by the affair that his father engaged in over the course of many years. And he said the same pattern happened over and over in his family's life. He said my dad would realize how terrible the sin was that he was engaging in. Or he would be found out. He's like my mother would come home while this woman that he was having an affair with would be in the house. And there would be a confrontation and he would recognize his sin and he would apologize to her and he would apologize to us because we saw it happening too. And we would believe him, he said. But then something striking would happen. He would say, but you know what? She's still such a good friend of the family. Let's make sure that we don't cut her out of our life. He's like, so we would decide that we were going to stay friends with her and so we would still see, you know, this person socially and then it would happen again. And he said, and I pleaded with my dad, end this. Obviously, you're not strong enough to be friends with her and not in an adulterous relationship with her, so never see her again. He's like, mom needs to be more important to you than a friendship with this person which continues to descend into illicit activity. Mom's got to be more important. Dad, you have to cut her out of your life. And he wouldn't do it. Each time that the affair would happen again and he would be confronted, he said that he was strong enough to avoid falling into it again. That she didn't need to be cut out of the life of the family. Stopping means that you have to take every means necessary to end this. Or there were others, right? And again and again and again, they'd get caught up in porn. And so the pleading would be, Get rid of your computer, man. Get rid of your phone. Like, it's better to be inconvenienced, to have to go to the library or something like that to type a paper and to submit it than it is to, to keep getting caught up in this again and again. No, I'm strong enough. I'm strong enough. I don't have to do that. I, I'm, I'm going to be able to stand against it this time. Let me solemnly warn you today. Please stop. If we disregard the Lord's commands and if we continue in sin, we're not disregarding any commands of any human being. We're disregarding the Lord. That's what verse 8 says. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. 
So let me say it again. Sexual sin is so destructive and so prevalent that it needs to be rooted out. It needs to be ended. Please stop. I have to tell you this morning, for anyone that's caught in it, I I don't dislike you, but I am furious with the sin. And I love you enough to tell you that it is going to destroy you if you continue in it. It's got to come to an end. Because sex, as, as God has created it to be, it's like fire. You see, sex, as created by God, is a really good thing. It's a really wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. If it's in the right place. And sex, as God created it, was intended for one place. And that is the union between a husband and a wife. And when it's in that place, it's beautiful. My prayer is that the Lord speaks to you through his word, that we cultivate grateful hearts to him and flourish in a world searching for the hope that we find only in Jesus. To hear more about gratitude, to learn about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, or to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160 through this audio ministry, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. I'm Pastor Dan Rhoda, and on behalf of the Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the Bible here on AM 1160. If you're not part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Grounded and Growing in Christ can be heard weekdays at 2 p.m. on AM 1160. I'm Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church. This month, we're focusing on the topic of gratitude throughout the Bible, exploring how God has instructed us to flourish in the world with hearts grateful and thankful to God. If you're not a part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com.